Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. Pennsylvania fugitive Daniello Cavalcante now in custody after a two-week manhunt. Officials share the details of the capture. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates talking to senators today at a closed-door meeting on AI. What are the implications for a competition with China? Senator Mitt Romney is not running for re-election next year. The Utah Republican has been a vocal critic of former President Trump. The death toll in Libya continues to climb as the flood enters its third day. Nearly 6,000 people are now confirmed dead and more bodies are constantly being found. The impeachment inquiry into President Biden. What's the evidence and where could it lead? We have analysis from a former federal prosecutor. Escaped prisoner Daniela Cavacante is now in custody. He was captured in Pennsylvania after a two-week manhunt and multiple sightings. I'm pleased to be able to report that thanks to the extraordinary work of law enforcement officials from here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, our local leaders here in Chester County, and from our federal partners all across this nation, shortly after 8 a.m., our suspect was captured. Jail video shows Calvacante escaping by crab walking up a prison wall. The illegal immigrant had just been sentenced for killing his ex-girlfriend and was awaiting transfer to state prison, while also wanted for another murder in Brazil. An aircraft detected body heat in the search area at around 1 a.m. It had to stop following the signal due to a storm, but police surrounded the area while they waited out the weather. Afterwards, they moved in and surprised the fugitive. He then tried to crawl through a wooded area with a rifle he stole, but a police dog found him. No shots were fired, but Calvacante was lightly bitten by the dog. Now he'll serve out a life sentence. An unprecedented meeting on Capitol Hill today as tech tycoons like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg huddle with senators. NTD's Iris Tao joins us live from Washington, D.C. Good evening, Iris. What did lawmakers tell us about this closed-door meeting? Good evening to you. So today's meeting lasted a whole day behind closed doors and senators, including leading senators like Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, came out to talk to us right after it ended, saying that they talked about a variety of issues, including how to increase transparency in the AI industry and how to mitigate risk associated with some AI techniques such as deep fake and what's known as watermarking and how such techniques could be used to influence things like elections. And Schumer also told us that today the main theme is really how to, through taking bipartisan actions on regulating AI, how to ensure that American public can enjoy the benefits with, associated with AI, but also to mitigate the risks associated with this fast-evolving technology. And of course, today's meeting was so significant because it really drew together all the biggest names in this industry, including Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, as well as Bill Gates. And today, Elon Musk in particular told the public that today's meeting was historic. He also warned about dangers with, of, AI, of AI. Watch. I think the consequences of AI going wrong are, are severe. Um, so we have to be proactive rather than reactive. But there, there is some chance that above zero that AI yes, will kill us all. I think it's low, but it, there's some chance. 
So several senators told us that they really appreciate this rare opportunity to directly listen to these leaders of the AI industry to learn more about this. But also there are some critics of today's meeting, including Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, who told me that she did not understand why today's meeting was, was held behind closed doors. But still, senators, including Chuck Schumer, told me that they think today's meeting was very productive and that it could help the U.S. in its competition with China. Watch. And the fact that we can bring everybody together and come with legislation that would move things forward on both sides will help us significantly. There's not a, a world in which China can put that room together. Like the government in China is trying very hard on AI. But the leadership in AI is in the United States of America. And Schumer says that he's going to have more open hearings on this topic of AI in the near future. And we're certainly going to see more actions by Congress on AI very soon. Back to you. Iris, thank you for that update. Republican Senator Mitt Romney of Utah will not be running for re-election next year. He made the announcement in a video message on X today. I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. Romney is 76 years old. In his video message, he outlined a range of what he described as critical issues, including rising national debt and the climate. The senator criticized both President Biden and former President Trump. He said neither Biden nor Trump are, quote, leading their party to confront those issues. The senator has long been an outspoken critic of Trump within the Republican Party. His current term ends in January of 2025. And speaking of politicians' age, a columnist for the Washington Post is offering his thoughts. In an op-ed, columnist David Ignatius argued that President Biden is too old to run again in 2024. Ignatius said he doesn't think Biden and Vice President Harris should run for re-election. He pointed to voters' concerns over Biden's age and Harris's low approval ratings. Biden is currently 80 years old and would be 82 at the beginning of a second term. The columnist called Biden's age a big liability and said it's become the subject of dinner table conversations across America this summer. As to Harris, the columnist said she, quote, failed to gain traction in the country or even within her own party. Ignatius touted what he considers Biden's achievements, but said that Biden withdrawing from the 2024 race would be a wise choice for the country. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is laying out his plan to cut the federal government and the laws to back him up. He says he'd start by cutting federal employees by 75 percent and shutting down several agencies. NDD's Jason Perry has the details. People who we elect to run the government ought to be the ones who actually run the government. Speaking at the America First Policy Institute on Wednesday, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said the balance of power in America has changed over the years. Three-letter government agencies that wield the most political power in the federal government despite having the least political accountability through unelected bureaucrats who have no backstop of actually being accountable to the public. 
And he laid forth his plan to restore the Constitutional Republic, taking aim at the size of the federal workforce as well as certain government agencies. First, it will be a plan that reduces the size of the federal employee headcount by over 75% if I'm the next president by the end of my first term, 50% of which is implementable by the end of year one. Some would argue that the president doesn't have that power, but Ramaswamy said that's only a myth. And he read from the 1977 Reorganization Act, which says the president does indeed have that authority. To reduce the number of agencies by consolidating those having similar functions under a single head and to abolish, that's not my word, that is a word in the statute, to abolish such agencies or functions thereof. Ramaswamy said he'd start with the FBI, and he cited information about the Bureau from the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, G-Man. The same one that used illegally collected tapes to threat threaten Martin Luther King Jr. into committing suicide, they tried to do, is now being used to target political opponents of a different persuasion. And he explained what shutting down the Bureau, which has about 35,000 employees, would look like. They're going to go home when we shut it down and find honest work in the private sector. But 15,000 of those employees are going to be reorganized into the U.S. Marshals, into the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network at the U.S. Treasury, into other parts, the DEA, that are taking on the drug enforcement, the drug enforcement problems that we have in this country. He also said he had shut down the Department of Education. This is an agency that spends approximately an $80 billion budget per year telling local schools that they can't get those federal funds unless they adopt toxic racial and gender ideologies. Some of the other departments Ramaswamy said he'd shut down are the ATF and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. To watch Ramaswamy's full speech, you can visit NTD.com. Jason Perry, NTD News. The death toll in Libya continues to climb as the flood enters its third day. The intensity has gone down, but the situation is still critical. Around 6,000 people are now confirmed dead and more bodies are constantly being found. Morgues are overwhelmed by the dead bodies and relatives are growing more and more desperate to find loved ones. Thousands of people are still missing. They're likely to have been swept out to sea or are buried underneath rubble. Emergency teams are using construction vehicles to look for them. The mayor of Derna said the death toll could rise to 20,000. He added that he fears diseases will start spreading with so many dead bodies under the rubble. Nearby countries are sending rescue teams, but officials say what they really need is more body bags. The flood began three days ago when Storm Daniel inundated northeastern Libya with rain. The situation already dire, the rain then caused two dams to break, exacerbating the flood. The International Rescue Committee calls it an unprecedented humanitarian crisis. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met with Russian President Vladimir Putin today in Russia's Far East. The meeting comes as the U.S. warns that North Korea could be supplying artillery shells to Russia for use in the Ukraine war. An analyst tells NTD what this means. It is a sign of Russia's desperation. Nobody wants North Korean uh, weapons. There's a famous example. They shelled a, an island, a South Korean island, a couple of years ago. And, and in, that, in that barrage of artillery shells, only 25 to 30 percent of them actually hit the target and exploded. 
The meeting took place at a Russian spaceport and lasted over four hours. Kim declared his full support for Russia and predicted a Russian victory in Ukraine. The two leaders agreed on further developing strategic ties. Putin suggested there could be military cooperation as well. The Russian president is believed to be seeking one of the few things North Korea has in abundance, stockpiles of aging ammunition and rockets. In return, Putin is offering to help North Korea with space satellite technology. The meeting also included a tour of the spaceport. Following the meeting, Kim is expected to continue his visit in Russia, which is his first trip abroad since the pandemic. Coming up, the White House is asking the media to scrutinize the impeachment inquiry into President Biden, which they say is baseless. And a closer look at the impeachment probe, what's the evidence and what are the implications? We have analysis from a former federal prosecutor. Detaining people in quarantine camps. New York State is still trying to implement a rule that would allow officials to do just that. We hear from the people fighting the rule. And a poll finds most Californians are against cash reparations for descendants of slaves. What it could mean for the state's $225 billion idea, you're on NTD News. Welcome back. The White House is asking the media to be critical of the impeachment inquiry against President Biden. It sent a letter urging them to, quote, ramp up scrutiny. The letter from White House spokesperson Ian Sam says that there is no evidence against Biden and that the impeachment inquiry is without merit. The letter has raised concern as it seems to urge news outlets to follow an editorial directive from the White House. The letter was sent out today to top executives at big news outlets like the New York Times, Fox, CNN and the Associated Press. This comes after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry yesterday. It aims to investigate President Biden's involvement with his son's business dealings, calling into question the issue of influence peddling. For further analysis on the Biden impeachment inquiry, we spoke with a former federal prosecutor and public defender. Cash Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, a White House spokesperson has pushed back, saying, quote, House Republicans have been investigating the president for nine months and they've turned up no evidence of wrongdoing. To begin, why do you think Leader McCarthy is launching this inquiry now? Uh, well, well, that's a all right, slightly complicated answer from my perspective. So having been both a public defender and a public federal prosecutor, um, I don't think in the thousand plus criminal cases I ever handled that a criminal that I either defended or prosecuted basically said, here, I did it, here's my crime, and here's all the evidence. What criminal masterminds do is they cover up the crime, and usually how they get caught is not the underlying crime itself, but the cover-up. So when Democrats say that there's no evidence, I have to point them to the $20 million of funding from the CCP cutout affiliates in the Ukraine, from the meeting at Cafe Milano that Vice President Joe Biden had with the mayor of Moscow's wife a week after she sent his kid $3 million. This is evidence of money moving for business-related activities. And now we know Joe Biden was, as vice president, on the phone with Hunter's business associates working these deals. So 
That is a tremendous amount of evidence. And I think Speaker McCarthy, it ties into his decision making. He had to move forward with the mountain of evidence to actually get the documentation from FBI and DOJ that Ray and Garland have stonewalled from these committees. And now there's also been pushback even on the conservative side. Actually, with the National Review, there was a op-ed called it calling this impeachment inquiry just but unwise. What's mm -hmm. your take on this? Um, look, I think from a political standpoint, I understand why they want to impeach Biden. I have always said, and I still say this, that the impeachment of Ray and Garland would be of more value to the American people because they have created this two-tier system of justice. They have allowed for Hunter Biden's sweetheart plea deal. They have allowed for the cover-up and the corruption, and it's not the first instance. Not to mention our top two law enforcement officers, Ray and Garland, have come into Congress under oath and lied. And they have failed to turn over documents that have been lawfully subpoenaed by members of Congress and should be held in contempt of Congress. And so I think those two would be a better um, result for the American public so we can see the documents, force their testimony, and understand why they've lied and covered up for all these years. Um, you know, Joe, I think a lot of the documentation will lead to Joe Biden. And so the impeachment, I think, of him is more political than it is substantive in some sense. But uh, so I can somehow under I, you know, understand why others out there are saying things like that. My preference would have been Ray and Garland first. And Cash, speaking of the American public, if we look at history here, there have been three impeachments of U.S. president. We had Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and of course Trump. None were convicted. What is the impact on the American public with these impeachments? Well, one, it's a huge expense, and it's a taxpayer-funded investigation, as is any activity by the United States government. Two, the world's eyes will be on this impeachment. So my advice to anyone who takes up this impeachment mantle seriously is utilize it not to advance a political headline, but to garner the information that the American public needs and the world needs to adjudicate this matter, because this matter is not going to be resolved in the Senate. We know it's not going to result in a conviction. The votes aren't there. Even if you find this, quote, unquote, smoking gun in the videotape of the fraud and criminality. What the American public needs to see is why the FBI and DOJ have covered up, redacted uh, their corruption in this case, why they sideline IRS investigators after five years, why they offered Hunter Biden a deal that is unlawful under DOJ regulations. These are the types of questions Americans want to know because it doesn't apply to them directly, but what they want to know is, why is our leadership, why is our law enforcement community allowing a two-tier system of justice, and am I next? I want to zoom in on this potential political fallout, especially after the impeachments of President Trump. Are we just going to be starting to see impeachments when each house or party is in power? And, and that's a great point. You know, that was the slide that we talked about when President Trump was impeached not once but twice. And now here you it's ironic that you have the other side saying, Chuck Schumer is particularly saying it's a witch hunt, which is, uh, you know, an interesting use of the phrase um, for people who want to launch an investigation. And then you'll have the pundits and naysayers saying, oh, well, it's just a political hatchet job. And that is a detraction for Americans. And it's a detraction for the work of Congress when Congress has outstanding work like funding the government to do. And people have said, why is Congress issuing subpoenas and not enforcing any of them? But if you're a Donald Trump supporter, they're enforced against you and you're sentenced to prison. People are tired of this disparate system of justice. And right now, the DOJ and FBI are leading 
the charge in creating that alternate system of justice. So they can't possibly investigate themselves. So the frustration is, why isn't Congress restoring our sense of justice to America? And um, I, don't, I don't know that they will through this impeachment process. We'll see. And now switching gears a little and zooming in on Trump, there's been another attempt this week in Minnesota to remove Trump from the ballot in 2024. That's citing the 14th Amendment, which says anyone who engages or aided in insurrection can't run for office. Could this actually succeed in removing Trump from the ballot? No. The, 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 the Constitution and the 14th Amendment are federal law of, of, the, of the United States of America. No state secretary of state can come in and utilize that amendment to bar anyone from running for any office, let alone the presidency of the United States. That's the black letter law. Now turning to the federal courts and the Supreme Court that interpret things like the 14th Amendment and our constitutional amendments, there is not one single case that interprets that amendment to allow for that activity to occur. To me, this is just a politicization and a continued weaponization of justice, and it's the next iteration of how are we gonna get Trump? If it's not the indictments, it's gonna be the 14th Amendment. If it's not the 14th Amendment, we tried to use it, remember the 25th Amendment, which didn't apply then to say he was somehow incapable of doing the job and they wanted to wear a wire against him. That would have also been unlawful. They'll come up with something else, um, the folks that want to sideline Donald Trump, in my opinion, aren't going to stop. This isn't the last we're going to see of it. But when you have folks like Alan Dershowitz come in and actually tell you what the law is on the 14th Amendment, who's no fan of Donald Trump, um, you know, I tend to believe those uh, credible folks. Cash Patel, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. New York State is still fighting for the right to set up quarantine camps. Today, the battle entered the next phase when the court heard oral arguments in the case. NTD's Arian Pastar spoke with the lead attorney and a state senator involved in the case. Quarantine camps in the state of New York. Governor Kathy Hochul and Attorney General Letitia James want to implement Rule 2.13. It would give the state's Department of Health the power to forcibly isolate individuals suspected of carrying a transmittable disease. This is truly about being able to control citizens for any reason. New York State Senator George Borello and lead attorney Bobby Ann Cox sued the state over the rule and won the case last year. However, the state appealed, and on Wednesday, attorneys made their case before an appeals court. The rule says the Commissioner of Health can pick any place that the Commissioner of Health wants to put you. You have no say. As you can see in this clip, hundreds of people showed up at the court protesting the idea of quarantine camps set up to stop the spread of communicable diseases. Senator, the COVID pandemic is over. Why does the state of New York still want to have the right to set up these camps? Well, first and foremost, we have to remember, even though the uh, governor and the attorney general tried to make this about COVID. The senator says the state's rule would apply to a long list of diseases, not just COVID. Uh, it goes everything from toxic shock syndrome to food poisoning. And while food poisoning might be a serious uh, condition, it is not communicable. The senator says New York's executive branch is overreaching by trying to implement this rule. According to him, the state's proposed rule is basically a copy of a previous proposal, which didn't get any support from state lawmakers and thus didn't become law. But what they have essentially said is if the legislature isn't going to make this law, we will. So it's a very clear violation of the separation of powers. The lead attorney in the case points out a few things in the state's rule which he says are against the law. 
according to the rule, you would not get an attorney until after you're locked up or after you're locked down. But you also wouldn't get notice, which means that the Department of Health could show up at your door or they could send the police with an order that you need to isolate or quarantine. And it could be not just for you, it could be for your child. Meanwhile, the state argues that its proposed rule only clarifies existing law. Supporters of the rule say quarantine measures are being used in states around the U.S. and have been used for centuries. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Most Californians are against cash reparations for residents who are descended from slaves. A recent poll reveals that conservatives are pretty united in the opposition, while liberals are mixed. NTD's Eileen Eng has more. According to a recent poll by UC Berkeley's Institute of Governmental Studies, or IGS, the majority of California voters are opposed to cash reparations payments to black residents. 59% of voters oppose the state reparations task force recommendation to make cash payments to the descendants of enslaved blacks currently living in California. Of those who opposed, 44% are strongly against the idea. Democrats and liberals were divided, while Republicans and conservatives were nearly unanimous in their opposition. However, most voters agree that the legacy of slavery is affecting the position of black Californians. According to the IGS co-director, while many can empathize with the plight of black Americans, not all of these feelings will translate into support for policies that address long-standing racial harms. In 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom created the nation's first reparations task force to calculate the costs of slavery and racism and how to make up to black Californians. In July, the task force proposed over 100 recommendations in a 1,000-page document. It also recommends the state pay over $225 billion in reparations. Coming up, rescuing children from the U.S. government. That's what Tim Ballard feels his mission is now after years of rescuing them for the government. Find out why. A former Hollywood singer sounds the alarm on child exploitation. She says her time in Los Angeles opened her eyes to the child trafficking and abuse taking place in the music industry. And human trafficking has surged largely because of smartphones. Now, a former CIA agent is using smartphones against the traffickers. Details on this and more when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Authorities in Pennsylvania finally captured convicted murderer Danilo Cavacante nearly two weeks after he escaped from jail. Police took him by surprise this morning. They found him using a heat-sensing plane and a dog. Utah Republican Senator Mitch Romney announced he won't be running for re-election in 2024. Instead, the 76-year-old called for a new generation of leaders. The death toll from the flood in Libya has risen to over 6,000. Morgues are overwhelmed with bodies and over 10,000 people are still missing. What can the U.S. do to stop child trafficking? We spoke with Tim Ballard, the subject of the film Sound of Freedom, to learn from his experience as a former special agent and to hear what he hopes the film can do. Tim Ballard, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. 
Tim, to begin, you're testifying in front of Congress this week on solutions the federal government can provide to tackle child sex trafficking. So to begin, give us a sense of what some of these actions the U.S. can take now are. Well, so much of it right now is concentrated on the southern border. We have unaccompanied minors coming. Tens of thousands are showing up, and they're being released into our country without little to no vetting at all and, and no fingerprint, no background checks. And so this is very dangerous, what's happening to these kids. Uh, and so we're, pro we're pro proposing uh, a bill, uh, working with Chris Smith of New Jersey. It's called the SECURE Act. And what it does is it's going to hold DHS, FBI, and Health and Human Services accountable to make sure you know where these kids are. You can't just release them to whoever pick, comes to claim them. we got to make sure these kids, these foreign children who are being victimized, are, are receiving the protection that, that they deserve. And speaking of these unaccompanied minors being released into the country, you actually worked as a special agent for the Department of Homeland Security for over a decade. Give us a sense of what you're seeing in terms of the so-called open border in terms of trafficking. So, yeah, for in 10 years, 10 of those years, I was a special agent undercover operator on the southern border. So I know very well how this how this works. And, you know, the building the wall or border enforcement, this was never partisan. I worked under two different administrations, one Republican, one Democrat. It didn't change anything. Everybody was for border enforcement because we knew it led to the rescue of children and the seizure of harmful materials like drugs. Um, unfortunately, today, it's it's it has become political. And the Democrats in this, in this current administration wants open borders. They want people to just be able to come in at will, and, and they don't want to have to vet who comes to claim unaccompanied minors. It's, it's, it's a disgrace. We would never treat a U.S. child this way if we found a child on a street corner in New York City or Washington, D.C. You would never treat a child like that. You wouldn't release that child to really whoever just shows up. And yet we are treating foreign children in a way that is, that is shameful and it's, it's, it's really unbecoming of who we are as a nation. And Tim, you've mentioned before in Washington and also in the film Sound of Freedom that the U.S. is actually one of the biggest markets and consumers of child trafficking. But it seems traditionally the U.S. is seen as a beacon of hope, a defender of human rights. So how does this work and how do you know those numbers? So we know that um, the United States almost every year is the top uh, consumer of child sex material, child rape videos. Um, we're also in the top three over the last four or five years. In the, uh, this is according to U.S. State Department, by the way. Uh, we are in the top three for destination countries for child trafficking, human trafficking, and that makes sense because per capita we probably have, based on the, those those that data, we probably have more uh, pedophiles per capita than any other country. And so it makes sense that the traffickers would want those kids to be placed in here. And and, you know, to your point about the United States, we're supposed to be the liberators. That's, you know, our, our, our tradition is one of liberating the captive. Unfortunately, you know, well, I spent 10 years rescuing children for the U.S. government, and now I feel like I'm having to rescue children from the U.S. government. And so it's a different battle now. It's not, it's not on, on the front lines. It's, it's political. It's in, it's in, you know, the halls of Congress trying to wake up uh, the people to implementing the laws that protect children by enforcing the border. And Tim, expanding on that, you've mentioned before you had to separate yourself from the U.S. government to rescue children. Could you expand on what that means? Yeah, the reason I left really was 
the particular case that you see in the film Sound of Freedom. Uh, there's another case in Haiti that was happening at the same time. I mean, I literally left because I was told on those two cases uh, that I couldn't stay uh, working in those cases unless I quit my job. And so it, it was really, I, I didn't have some grand vision in the beginning that I was going to create something bigger. In the end, you know, our foundations would have rescued thousands of children and women. Um, but it was really just about that. It was about getting these particular kids in Colombia rescued and a, ki a group of children in Haiti that we were working a case. And, and in both cases, we, 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 we had success. And then from there, it just expanded. And Tim, speaking of the film Sound of Freedom, at the end, there's a call to action highlighting how the children are the heroes here. What is the biggest takeaway you hope people will walk away with from the film? The takeaway is, 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 is action. I, Alejandro Monteverde, the director of the film, he, he told me that he wants to make a movie where the film begins when you leave the movie theater. And that's what I think is happening. I think people are going home and thinking about that the next day and, uh, and what they can do. It's action, it's action. It's calling your representatives, making sure we get the SECURE Act passed. I, I, I consult on a fund called the SPEAR Fund, which is allowing us to deploy rapid uh, funding and resources to operators around the world to rescue children when they need it. So people can go to thespearfund.org and get involved there or get involved in any organization that's fighting human trafficking. They all need resources. And I think this film has done its job. I think the world has, has, has opened its eyes to what is going on. And I think we're going to be able to rescue a lot, a lot of children because of it. Tim Ballard, thank you so much for your time. An ex-Hollywood singer has put her morals over fame. She said she saw child grooming in the music industry. She now runs a nonprofit exposing child trafficking and abuse. NTD's David Lamb speaks with Landon Starbuck. Landon Starbuck lives in Tennessee, currently running Freedom Forever, a nonprofit exposing the world of child exploitation and saving children. So I wanted to get to the root of that, which is education and prevention-based activism, and that is the mission of Freedom Forever. Somewhere it's safe just to be me. Starbuck also creates music, such as her single Hope, to shed light on child trafficking. But before that, she pursued a music career in Hollywood at age 18. And that experience uh, made me realize there was a very deep problem that was not being talked about. She shared that her time in the music industry opened her eyes to the sexual quid pro quo culture that is Hollywood of what was expected, the favors, the denigration needed to become a star. The singer recalls one experience. When I arrived at this video shoot, there was a clothing rack, but there was lingerie, underwear hanging. And um, I said, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable. I didn't, I didn't know that was what the deal was. I, I'm not wearing that. And they said, well, that's all right. We'll find somebody who will. She said the next day she was dropped. So wait a minute. It's not that I'm not good enough. It's, you know, th that I'm not willing to take off my clothes. It's not, it's, I'm not willing to sexualize myself. I'm, I'm not willing to hop on a private plane to, to Vegas over the weekend to party with label execs. You know, and I would have some of these females who are big stars today tell me, Landon, you don't have to sleep with them. Just, just come and party, come and hang. Starbucks said she didn't understand and in some cases underage girls would be hanging out with adults. So you left this industry because you saw things that were against your morals. Um, is, it, is it worth it now today? 
I'm so grateful for the experiences I've had as bad as they were and, and even the depression that I went through reconciling the fact that I wasn't going to make it on those terms um, but I was going to make it on God's terms and so now I'm using my voice in a much more powerful way in a much more meaningful way Child grooming and trafficking is not just a concern of the entertainment industry. On the state level, Senate Bill 14 passed the Assembly 79-0 to on Monday and is one step closer to the governor's desk. It would make child sex trafficking in California a serious felony and increase penalties. In Santa Clara, California, David Lamb, NTD News. And human trafficking has recently exploded in the United States, largely because of smartphones. One former CIA agent had the breakthrough idea of using this technology against the traffickers. And today's Colin Fredrickson has more. Human trafficking has surged in the past few years. Between 2015 and 2019, there was an 850% increase in suspected cases of child trafficking. This according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The main reason, smartphones. Criminals can easily use social media apps to contact and manipulate young people. Former CIA operative Nick McKinley has turned the tables by creating an app that lets citizens find potential traffickers. For the last seven years, eight years, we have been scraping and collecting information off the internet that is specific to the commercial sex industry. If your child is talking to somebody online, then you can actually search that phone number. And if that, search, if that phone number comes back as a positive connection to a commercial sex advertisement, you know that, that there is definitely a problem. McKinley is the founder of Deliver Fund, an organization dedicated to ending trafficking. It embeds its analysts and technology within law enforcement and gives technology to the public in the form of the HT Safeguard app, currently on the Apple App Store, coming to the Android Play Store soon. McKinley says that giving citizens the power to detect traffickers is the best way to combat them. Society is a forest, and law enforcement is a bright light outside the forest shining in. Well, unfortunately, the trees create a lot of shadows. So by putting applications in the hands of, of, of all of the people in the forest, we can eliminate the shadows and make it so there's no place for these human traffickers and child predators to hide. An estimated 27 million people are victims of human trafficking. It can take the form of forced labor or sexual exploitation. In the U.S., it mainly takes the form of forced prostitution. More information is available at deliverfund.org. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Coming up, Aaron Rodgers' injury opens up an opportunity for a former first-round pick. Can Zach Wilson win the job back? And remains of alleged non-human life on display in Mexico. A researcher says they have different DNA and the Mexican government is taking it seriously. That's to come. Welcome back, and now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, the big news this week has been the Achilles injury to Aaron Rodgers. What was your reaction to that? <laughs> Shock. I mean, even for a hard luck franchise like the Jets, this was pretty severe. I mean, they have had some similar incidents. You know, in 2008, 
Brett Favre they got, and about 11 games into the season, he gets injured. They go from Super Bowl contenders out of the playoffs. He then retires after the season, only to unretire and play brilliantly for Minnesota the next year. Even in 1999, they were coming off an AFC title game appearance. They had Bill Parcells as head coach. Vinny Testaverde was their quarterback. Testaverde tore his Achilles in week one out for the rest of the season. They didn't make the playoffs. Now, we will grant Testaverde, he was a two-time pro bowler, but he, uh, he was never the future Hall of Famer that Aaron Rodgers is. And what do you think the Jets should do now? Do you think they'll stick with Zach Wilson or bring in someone else? Well, I would stick with Zach Wilson. I mean, they have, they've talked about him in the preseason, how he's improved. He was their first-round pick two years ago. Now, had he been playing well the last two years, they obviously would not have gone out and got Aaron Rodgers. They gave up a bunch to get him. Uh, but I would certainly think that they are also behind the scenes working the phones to try to find someone else. There are rumors they contacted Tom Brady. I can't imagine Brady is coming. But there's other names like Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles they could get. Just none of them are at the uh, level that a four-time MVP like Rodgers is at. And Dave, now shifting gears to basketball, one development that went under the radar last week was Team USA placing force at the World Cup. Was that below their expectations? Yes. I mean, they've won four straight Olympic golds. Basketball has been America's sport for sure, one of them, I, I would guess. Uh, but I'll also say that you know, I, they were close. You know, they lost to Germany by two points in the semifinals. Canada beat them in overtime in the bronze medal game. But I'll also say that this might not have been the most talented team they could send. There were no former MVP award winners like LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Even reigning MVP Joel Embiid, he's a U.S. citizen now. The list goes on. You could probably mention Jason Tatum, Anthony Davis. Uh, there were a number of players you would think would be on the team. And what do you think we can expect at the Olympics next summer? Well, I think you can expect a different team for sure. Now, the World Cup is big for soccer. It's not as big for basketball, at least at least not in America. Now, there, there are rumors that LeBron James is going to play next summer with the Olympics. He hasn't played since 2012. Even Steph Curry, he has never played on the Olympics. Uh, but certainly, they are going to need a center. Um, either Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, both of them would be great because someone's going to have to guard Nikola Jokic if he plays for Serbia. But I think for the bigger stage next year, we're going to see better results. Dave, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Mexico could become the first country to speak about the presence of aliens on Earth in a government document. Lawmakers considered evidence today, including small corpses that one researcher calls non-human. According to organizers, these two mummified stuffed bodies were recovered in 2017 in Peru. They are reportedly 700 and 1800 years old respectively, with only three fingers on each hand and elongated heads. The lead researcher said that DNA testing shows many differences from humans. He sees them as clear evidence of aliens, but has previously been refuted by other scientists for some of his related stances. This all happened at Mexico's first public congressional hearing on the proposed aerial space protection law. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.